You're listening to a DM podcast. G'day and welcome to Behind the Podcast with Jules and Stocks. I'm Jules and today Stocks and I went behind the podcast with Greg Muller of the Motherload podcast. Before we start that chat, we did want to begin the podcast with the news. Uh, Not what's been making it so much, but the actual delivery of the news itself. Yeah, news podcasts have become a massive thing over the last sort of three, four years, and particularly the last 12 months, we've seen a bunch of different people throw their hat into the ring. I guess the genesis of this conversation was the ABC released the ABC News Daily about three weeks ago, and we deal with a few people who work in the daily news podcast space, and they're all going, what the hell is going on here? They already have an existing podcast that they're putting out what's the point of difference and we just thought we'd have a look at it and uh, just have a look at the general lay of the land because it does seem like this space might be getting a bit of saturation and I guess the points of difference in my mind are new source or also known as bias or agenda and we'll get into that and then also host so you're running a one person host or you're running a one person with a guest that changes every week or you're doing a two-hander and examples of that are people like the squeeze do a two-hander but something like 7am will do one person. And then another one is the length. Are you looking at just breaking down something as quickly as possible in five minutes or is it this longer form which can go out to, what do you reckon, about 20 minutes some of these longer ones go to? Yeah, 20 minutes and even even kind of up to 40. I think that, why don't we get across and start to have a look at a couple. The ones that I wanted to talk about um, are more in that on the longer end. So the two that I've chosen are The Journal, which is a partnership between the Wall Street Journal and Gimlet Media and BBC World News. So both of these are the 20 minute plus mark. Uh, The journal is more of a a narrative based look at the news as opposed to BBC World News, which is much more documentary in style. The narrative kind of base of the journal comes really from the DNA of Gimlet, which, you know, everyone who's into podcasts knows about Gimlet. If you don't, they were a startup about podcasts um, who got bought out by Spotify and do a whole bunch of content with you know a whole bunch of different people. Um, but they really utilize the audio storytelling prowess that uh, is on offer from them. And they focus generally on only one topic um, and do a bit more of a deep dive into that. It's American focused. So if you're really into kind of Ameri- American politics or current affairs or anything like that, then this is a great little one for you. It's very interesting that there's a partnership between essentially a Spotify company, Gimlet, and a Murdoch company in the Wall Street Journal. Just an interesting uh, marriage. For sure. And I think, you know, this kind of links back to what we were talking about in the whole Joe Rogan space of Spotify broadening from just being a, you know, a a content provider to someone who's actually creating the news and and influencing people in that way. Um, But BBC World News, I mean, you know, its name attached to it is the BBC. So it is much more... I suppose they would hope without bias, um, but yeah, as I said, it's, it's much more documentary style. They run through generally the, the headlines of the day, the main things that are happening around the world, again, with that sort of more of a European focus, but they do cover off the world topics, obviously. So what they generally do is do the headlines and a bit of an update about you know the main things that are out there, and then they will go into a little bit of a deep dive about a particular topic, so you get a bit of both sides. So... Sometimes, you know, you might listen to just the first half. Sometimes you listen to the whole way through. But either way, you come out the other side feeling very well informed and very worldly. Does it have a regular host or does that rotate as well? It does rotate, but it's essentially a couple of the, the main primary people are the ones who you'll hear all the time. Excellent. 
Well, look, there's a couple. I'm going to look at more Australian ones. I chose to look at more Australian ones in the form of uh, an old favourite of ours, the Squiz. So some people we worked with uh, extensively. Uh, and the Squiz is relatively independent. It comes, uh, tries to be agenda-free. The main person behind it is Claire Kimball, who was a press secretary for a Liberal Prime Minister, but also just has comms backgrounds, also worked at... Uh, Worked at Woolworths as communication. So just basically, you're getting what you get if you are an experienced politician. At least this is how I've always looked at it. If you are an important politician and you're getting a daily briefing that hits your inbox or hits your headphones first thing in the morning, that's what you're getting from a squeeze. So it's about that eight-minute range and it's quite bantery. So it's got a host, often Kate Watson, but she's on maternity leave. She'll throw the story and then Claire will break it down. And it's fantastic, very easy listening, very natural, and just a fun format and quite informative. So that's, for me, the, the gold standard. There's no fat on it. There's a few ads, but they don't open with them. They, they put them down the back. Uh, there's also a newsletter, so they're reusing already existing very good content, and it's current. I mean, they're getting up that morning, and they're doing some prep the night before, but a lot of it is actually done that morning. So when, by the time it hits your ears at 6 a.m., it is completely up to date and very fresh news so i love that one and i know you are you like to shower to it i believe yes i do this has made its way well and truly into my morning routine and and uh is the soundscape for my showers (laughs) (laughs) make what of you will of that um another one is pedestrian daily so this is ties in a little bit to i guess the journal as in it's a partnership between australian publisher pedestrian and spotify and Spotify Australia. So it's pop culturally, it's almost bordering on gossipy, um, which is pretty cool. And that's an angle for them. You're not going to get an update on what's happening in the Ukraine from this podcast, but you are going to get the general news. You're going to get that. So it's sort of the top five stories. So maybe a bit of a, a bit of a spoonful of sugar to help the news go down. Absolutely. The host, it's got a solo host from all the episodes I've listened. It's a relatively new podcast. Host is injects a lot of their own personality and opinion into the podcast, which again, a fun point of difference. I can see the downside of that as well in that if the host is not your cup of tea, uh, you're out probably. But that's, I guess, the advantage of having multiple hosts is hopefully you gravitate towards one more than the other or it just increases your chance that there's going to be someone that you really relate to. So look, very interesting to see how that goes, but it's a fun entry into the space. And then there's the ABC morning briefing which is one that you got me into, which is, I guess, it's a version of the news, right? It's basically using their news resources to post almost hourly updates as news breaks on the top stories of the news and it's three or four minutes. Feels like just getting that top of the hour news on demand, which is a pretty cool idea. And I guess a lot of people who have relate to um, ABC radio would go, this is really cool. I don't have to wait to the top of the hour. I can just punch this out anytime I want, which is cool. But clogs up your feed, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think this is probably the closest thing to walking down the hall in an Aaron Sorkin thing, getting the stuff rammed down your throat and and then you're off ready to go. Yeah. Which brings us, I guess, to the ABC News Daily. It's a 10-minute podcast. It's a little bit longer for what I like. I did listen to it on Spotify because I'm still wedded to Spotify for my podcasts. Spotify is the only one, I believe, with a deal with the ABC where they can put ads on their podcast. So it opens with an ad, That's right. then a long music sting, and you're over a minute before you're getting into it. 
and then they tell you, say, today we're going to talk about this with this person, and then it goes back into some music, and then it gets into a deep dive on a single subject. So for mine, you're wasting my time. We're a minute 30 in before we're actually hitting real content, so it could be tightened up a bit. But look, what I've seen is they're really leveraging some of the big hitters that they've got on the ABC. And I mean, as much as many any media organization, they have a lot of talent. So when they had... The day after the Brittany Higgins, uh, Grace Tame press club lunch, they had Patricia Cavallis come on and just break it down. And having that ability to do stuff with a nurse's strike this morning, they were able to really break that down as well. And someone had been doing a long-form investigation on the situation for nurses and COVID and how that's changed from being everyone going, woo, we love nurses, to suddenly the abuse they're copying and how broken they all are in terms of just, you know, this job is absolutely breaking me uh, you know, and looking at other careers. And it's a massive crisis, which has led to the, the industrial action today. So they're really able to lean on the power of the ABC. So initially, I didn't see where this was going, but can starting to see what they're trying to do here. So it's quite interesting that there is another angle. Yeah. Well, new show, and I suppose yeah, there's plenty that they can do to adjust the format and, and find the sweet spot. But yeah, as you said, if they've got the power of the resources behind them, then they should be able to make those changes necessary. Once they get Stan Grant on, they won't get him off. <laughs> That's it. Obviously, we've left out things like The Daily, the second biggest podcast in the world, because we don't want to tell you how to suck eggs and tell you about podcasts that you already know about, um, even though we probably just did. <laughs> That's right. Well, how about we move over to telling you about a podcast that you might not yet know about. This is a new show that's up in its fourth week now. Um, we've just had the new episode drop on Sunday, so I've been listening to that one today. Um, it's called Motherload. Uh, Greg Muller is the journalist behind that and has done it in partnership with Renieri & Co. Look, it's all about the history of hacking in Australia and the great bit of a stake to claim, I suppose, the the great work that Australians have done. We always like to claim credit on all of these sorts of things, make ourselves known on the global stage. And I think that we've got pretty good reason to do so with this, for sure. I think the early days in the, in the 80s and 90s were we had some of the best hacking talent coming out in the world. Yeah. So. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? Oh, and if you haven't checked it out, this is a really good time to jump in. The first four episodes are really about the hacking culture in the 80s, and then it's going to pivot and become uh, mainly about Julian Assange. So that's what happens around the fourth episode. So now's a great time to jump in if you haven't heard of the podcast or listened to it. All right, well, that's enough from us. Why don't we get on over to Greg? Greg, tell us about the show. My name's Greg Muller. i um, been a journalist for about 20 years and podcasting for about five or six. Uh, so what's Motherload? It started off as this idea of having the very beginnings of computer hacking. And what I found out was apparently, who knew, its epicenter was in Melbourne. And Melbourne had some of the best hackers in the world. I lived in Melbourne. Funnily enough, I lived not far from where this hacking took place. And I had no idea. You know, it was just a whole world that was going on that was completely unbeknown to me. Um, So I was a bit intrigued. We've all heard of Julian Assange, of course, we may have heard of some of the other hackers like the realm but the details once i started looking was just amazing so on one level um this is before the internet and i think that's what was really fascinating Mm. this is when people were this is big beige commodore 64s with tape drives um there's no internet they've got a modem they're using telephone lines they're finding out how to hack 
telecommunication systems to get free access overseas. Um, the internet didn't exist for a few years later, but it, there was a network which was sort of university-based, research-based, and some of Melbourne, Australia's universities, Melbourne Uni, um, RMIT, CSIRO, were were connected into this network, so they hacked into those places first. And I just the ingenuity was was amazing. You know, it's funny because we, we had a lot of, um, well, maybe we can get into this later, but how we made it. But it was a lot of, a lot more secrecy around this than I would have thought. When you first think of the wank worm, you know, it's pretty funny. I'll tell you about that in a minute. Um, and you don't think it's that criminal. But when we started digging, yeah. there, was a, there was suppression orders we had to lift. We ended up going to court twice to do that. We had FRI requests into the AFP, which went on for months and was eventually fruitless. Um, we got FOIs into the Commonwealth Department of Public Prosecutions. And I was kind of, I guess that really sparked me to be, this is a bit more intriguing. Why, why is there so much secrecy around this? Yeah, well, like uh, even from the uh, from the hacker community, I mean, I think based on one of the stories that you told about, you know, the, the first interviews that they had on, on the Willisie show, <laughs> the result of that and what happened to that guy you're directly after walking out of that anonymous interview, I think you could imagine there would be a bit of hesitation maybe to open up certain doors. Yeah, is there yeah. still a genuine threat that these guys, if they reveal too much, could be put away? Was there a statute of limitation or something? Well, that's right. So some of the later ones, I think the wank woman, things like that, there was Interpol's put out to find out who did that, which is why that person um, has still remained unrevealed. Um, it's funny because I had a few people tell me, oh, they're sure who did it, but they told me different people. So, um, right. So this is like the Banksy uh, of the hacking world. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But there's, although NASA, so we found a few reports that were written into the wankworm. And um, one report came up with that they thought there were three authors to it for various reasons, and we explained that. So who knows? Maybe both of these people were right, and there's one other person I'm not yet to find out. But um, but certainly nothing's been proved. And although what has been, I think, fairly well established is it was traced back to Melbourne. I mean, it, it is hilarious, as you said. Like it, it predates the internet, and it's just these these kids really messing around on computers and seeing what they're capable of. And you just think about, you know, if they didn't have these wands. What other magic would they be kind of casting around? And yeah, I mean, it even sounds like you almost could have made it to a, uh, was it Bon Jovi concert buying, <laughs> lifting well, tickets that, from the internet? <laughs> well, that's great, isn't it? Because the, the first guy you mentioned before, Chris, who was the first person to go to jail for computer hacking, got to be careful with that because there were no computer hacking laws. He didn't actually go to jail for computer hacking. He got done for obtaining property by deception, you know, so... But it was the first time police had to look into people doing this on computers. And I, I know that no, the law's the law, and he went into unlawful places and he stole credit cards. But something about the level of criminality, I think, can be judged by what he did with that money. So he bought 100 Bon Jovi tickets, um, tickets to Simply Red and Billy Idol and, and bought flowers for his girlfriend and rode around in chauffeured limos. Like, he, yeah, sure, he got a lot of money, about $10,000, I think, in the end. But... um. There wasn't a lot of nefariousness. It was like, what would a 17-year-old kid do if he found 10 grand and this is what they'd do? So, so the level of criminality in that sense wasn't so high, but it was scary because most people didn't know what computers were. Um, and here's some kid who had the ability to steal from them via a computer. What, what the hell? So I think, although the first couple of episodes of Motherload, you know, there's a lot of humour in there because it's teenage pranks. Yeah. But underlying and growing throughout you get you get this rising level of nefariousness and 
and actually this is pretty serious. Oh, okay, we're getting more dependent on the internet. Oh, so these these guys actually, yeah, they can get in, they don't do damage, but they've got power. Um, so I think that's a theme that we develop after those two guys. There's three episodes that have released so far. So, I mean, do you want to talk to us maybe a bit about, because we haven't really spoken to someone who's uh, doing let's call it a true crime for lack of a better you know (laughs) category um but a sort of documentary piece as well but they sort of tend to be released you know a week at a time and you either get like the whole dump or you catch onto it at at whatever point and and you go through and and the results are the results or they don't give you much how much work have you done up front and and what have you got sort of planned for the coming weeks and how many episodes and things do do you imagine this going for Seven episodes all up we've got um, planned. So, we're, yeah, we're just about to release episode four. Um, <clears throat> and like I said, what's what's really coming through is this convergence in the mid-90s, I suppose, perhaps even going before that. But this convergence of technology, once, giving people the ability to get outside of their suburbs. I mean, I'm old enough to remember what Melbourne suburbs were like in the 80s and 90s, and there wasn't that much going on. So this was pretty amazing. I mean, STD phone calls were expensive, and that was just to get... Yeah out of the CBD. So the world was suddenly just completely opened up. So curious people with a bit of tech knowledge could really um, start to explore. So that, and that's where it was at. Now, so the technology was there. The other thing which was happening, and we, we get onto this later, was it was at a time, and I've got to take my mind back to all this all the time, end of the Cold War, um, a lot of fear about nuclear. I mean, we always thought that we'd die in a nuclear war. We had the protests on Palm Sunday. We had this idea of nuclear um, or mutually assured destruction. You know, what, what kind of madness was that? That if we can kill you, you can kill us back. And then we lived under this cloud. And so there was a distrust of institutions, I think, which was starting to develop. Um, and we'd learnt in the 70s that governments lied to us. The Ellsberg leaks, uh, the Pentagon Papers told us that. And then we went to Gulf War and we realised, oh, they're lying to us again, so what can we do? So there's a distrust of institutions, I think, that's starting to happen there's a technological advance where people can actually stand up to institutions as an individual they can go hang on i've got power against these bodies um and then you mix that with with i guess some anarchic kind of ideas and freedom of speech ideas and you get well it leads to episode six and it's one of my favorite episodes and that's about cypherpunks so you're gonna get into there yeah well that's sort of like a mixture of all those things coming together plus like certain impending doom from very like real world kind of level i think it, it was the sort of perfect mixing pot wasn't it for just people to take a chance and see what That's was possible right. well the internet and a lot of people have told me this it's a nice way to look at it it did two things it was an extraordinary surveillance tool for governments and corporations and we've seen that but at the same time it was a, a tool where an individual could stand up against governments and corporations so the playing field was a little bit leveled um i'm not sure if that's still the case today but i think it was back then so computer security wasn't a thing i mean when they got into nasa they basically got in with a program that matched passwords with logins like that's pretty basic yeah Yeah. (laughs) and so they could hack into nasa and at one point on a separate hack they shut down nasa for 24 hours you know just by using simple password cracking password cracking programs it blows my mind i mean i was a an owner of a commodore 64 and that was not exactly cray supercomputer stuff so the fact that these guys are able to do this on do this type of stuff on a computer like that it just blows my mind i mean my memories of the commodore 64 are loading a tape game and one in three times it wouldn't wouldn't load um 
let alone trying to hack NASA. It's just, yeah, it's phenomenal. It is, isn't it? And that's that, that thing, they just went way, way beyond what was in the user manual. The user manual I've read through some of the user manuals just researching this. And, um, you know, they're quite simple. You know, you, you, here's how you play a game. And they actually had some coding in there too. But nothing like what these guys are doing. I mean, they developed a worm <laughs> that yeah. went around the world. So one of the big hooks on this is this was the space that Julian Assange was running in at the time as well. That's right. So that's where, where, where it starts to, to head. So after the a hacking group called The Realm, or there was a wankworm and then there was a hacking group called The Realm. Following that in the early 90s was a hacking group called International Subversives. Now, that was led by Assange. This is where there's been a lot of secrecy. Suppression orders were still on all their um, sentence remarks. And his two co-accused, they were all suppressed as well. So, but we did manage to get all those for the podcast. And they just pushed it even further. So they went into military systems. They controlled telecommunication systems. They could redirect phone phone lines. Again, from the suburbs of Melbourne on phone lines. <laughs> um, freaking, it is astonishing. Freaking was a really big thing. So freaking is in P-H-R-E-A-K-I-N-G. Um, manipulating telephone systems, um, using recording dial tones and using different tones to, to trick them into getting you free calls and things like this. And this allowed them to hack all night. Um, so, yes, Julian Assange came out of this world and then I guess the podcast, we start to follow him and um, into the world of, of cypherpunks, which is where obviously he hacked with a lot more of a political bent, um, as you'd expect. But a lot of those things that you see in WikiLeaks, you can see where he got it from, the thinking that was around the cypherpunk groups in the west coast of, of the states, um, <clears throat> the, the information has to be free kind of ideology, the open source network, they, they were really against copyright. Um, copyright would be an ownership of software and code, which would be like owning someone's ideas. So there's these ideological battles going on. Um, and we've got all these posts in the cypherpunk mailing list, which have actually been archived and we found them. Um, You've got Assange just posting there all the time in the late 90s, and you can kind of see where the politics are coming from. Um, and so then, if you like, what we did with this podcast, it's once we take it to its to its end point, it's like a backstory, like a prequel, if you like, to WikiLeaks. So, you know, WikiLeaks didn't come out of nowhere. Something mm. that disruptive um, was 20 years in the making. So... This is how it was made. The other thing about WikiLeaks I, that I'm starting to understand is that it was at the right time. Um, again, distrust of institutions, governments lying to us, what are we going to do about it? The internet giving the technology for a encrypted dead Dropbox, which is basically what it was. Someone said to me, it's not a um, revolutionary idea, but to prosecute it, and make it was extraordinary. So I, th I think that's where we end. And again, we're not, this isn't a pro anti Assange doco. It's not a pro anti WikiLeaks doco. Um, I think it's undeniable that WikiLeaks had a massive impact. We talk to people who say it's changed democracies, it's changed media, um, it's, <clears throat> it's changed politics with people talking about that as well. So I think that's undeniable, but it's, you know, whether it's for good or for bad, well, you can decide. But it certainly changed. And I think someone told me, and I like this, you look back on this 15-year this period in 100 years' time and it will see, we'll see it as pivotal. Like, things changed, partly because of technology, but there was a change in politics too. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, as you said, like what you keep secret and what's out in the open and, you know, what's lurking in the, in the middle ground there. That what's, the, what's the level at which they're accepting and, and willing to tell us? Um, do you want to talk to the style of the show a bit and, and what were your kind of inspirations in, in putting this together? Um, well, I quite like doing those sort of podcasts that are narrative and highly produced, I think. Um, my last two podcasts was at the Supreme Court and, and, and Gertie's Law and then um, Wrong Skin with the Age. And it's similar style. It's, it's highly produced narratives um, where we just get as many interesting people as we can to, to tell this story, but people that were in the know. So um, you do an enormous amount of research. You have hours and hours of recordings and then you just try and pick the gold from it and the bits that make sense, <laughs> which isn't the way. So we actually sifted through heaps of technical discussion which my eyes were glazing over. Yeah. Um, you know, lots of... Well, can you just explain that to me again? Let's just slow that down a second because there's a lot of zeros and ones going on here and I need to just make something real bad. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Some of the emails I got from the, the head of technical or computer security at NASA were, were hilarious. I just... I was, is this English? You know? <laughs> 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 and, uh, but I, we got enough out of it to, to understand what's going on. So there are some things that are simplified just because it's a pretty technical area, um, especially once you get into coding and encryption and decryption. Um, so so I, I really like to... I did this in my last project too, and I'm reminded of that quite a lot when I worked at the Supreme Court. We had really complex issues that we had to simplify and, and yeah. break down, and I quite like doing that, and we've certainly done a lot of that with this podcast. A lot of really technical stuff, but I think so far... Look, my parents understood it. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very understandable and relatable, but it's fascinating as well. One of the things I like, really like that you've done is you've had the transcripts of a lot of the hackers mm. and then you've revoiced them. I guess what was the process behind that? What were you looking for in the voice actors? Because I guess you've got to go for this sort of nerdy type of incel-y kind of person. I don't know. It, it's I don't know true. where I'm going There's with this. <laughs> <laughs> look, it's, look, it's really true. There's a couple of things there. Firstly, it's all boys. It's pretty hard, you know, now in 2022 to make a podcast that's all guys. And I'm um, very aware of that. But there wasn't, I mean, it is majority because the scene was like that. We have interrogated that a little bit. Why was that the case, you know? Weren't there women? Where were the women hackers? Where were the, the teenage girls getting into this? And they were there, but they didn't seem to go for the same profile and ego that the guys did. Um, they probably got, you know, real jobs as system administrators and things like that. So, so that was one thing. So I'm running out of friends with teenage boys to ask voice stuff <laughs> but, but um you're right Anthony you're getting that that cross that there's, there's there's a certain amount of arrogance there's that teenage bravado and there's a lot of that um like one of the AFP guys said look 60 70 percent of the stuff I was listening to was just bragging you know it was bullshit we can't prosecute mm. people for that so they had to really sift through heaps heaps of stuff but no after oh, quite a few FOI requests we got the AFP transcripts um, of their phone taps, uh, which they presented to the court. And it really gives you a good insight into what was going on. It, I felt a bit guilty at some point. I've talked to this about with my colleagues and some friends. I said, imagine someone getting phone taps of you talking to your mates when you're 19. Oh, oh yeah. The horror. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's the same response. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, it's who snogged who at the blue light, who had fake ID for the... And then I thought, so I feel a bit guilty dragging this out because it, you can't really, it doesn't reflect the person now for sure. Well, I don't know, but it probably wouldn't. But then again, we were talking about who's snogging who at the blue light and not hacking into NASA. 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So at least this was peppered with a bit of genius. I often think about that when it's like social media. I'm just so glad that I was a little bit older before that really came in because I think it would just be absolutely, you know, mortifying to look back at yourself, let alone hear phone calls that were tapped. Surely a moment of clarity where you just go delete everything one night. Just... <sighs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, so we didn't get the audio, but we did get transcripts. So, yeah, we had to get actors to, to play that um, as a podcast. We had so many documents which made building a podcast a lot more difficult a lot more sound design went into it just to keep people interested just to keep that you know because the podcast is interesting and informative as it can be it still has to entertain so um, mm. well from always... what we've heard so far it's got great sound design it's got that kind of like you know retro but very future tech vibe to it i suppose and it's all like a bit analogy i guess yeah well, that's what we're going for that 80s sound and you've, we've got you know you, they just take you back the Commodore 64 TV ads with John Laws voicing them. Oh, awesome! <laughs> you know, we've <laughs> so got one of those. It's been an amazing podcast to try and put together because it's based so much on documents. A lot of people don't want to talk, which was surprising. And you can't always rely on memory because one, it fades, and two, there's a lot of exaggeration going on too. You know, we've come across quite a few rabbit holes where we go, "Oh, actually, that no, nah, that didn't happen. They didn't quite do that." <laughs> so, um, I've tried as much as I can for this to go back to source documents which is why we went to the courts police documents um we found all the reports that went into the wank worm from the uni of california back in i think it was 91 or 90 so as much as we could we'd go back to the source documents archived mining lists um of online groups and things like that so you said you've got the seven episodes. I mean, are you leaving some of it open for people to come forward if they're hearing certain things that they you know, either want to add to or, or whatever the case may be? That'd be great if whoever did the wankworm wants to get in touch. <laughs> <laughs> I, reckon, I reckon that's the, another... the wankworm. You can squeeze, <laughs> that's squeeze in episode 7.5. I reckon. There's an episode right there. Um, look, that's a really interesting thing too about, and we talk about this, these Australian hackers... I, I, Obviously, I've been you know reading lots of books on hackers, and there's a lot of really famous ones in the states, um, Eric Bloodaxe and Kevin Mitnick and Philip uh, Tappan Morris, and they're really they all went on to quite successful careers. They wrote books, you see them on talk shows, but these Australian hackers just went they went to ground. Um, they've never been public. I've managed to get a messages to one or two of them, but no one wanted to be involved in the past. I'm leaving it. I don't know the other ones. Who knows? They could have gone on to a massive future in cybercrime, or they could have just gone to another quiet life but it's interesting why they didn't bank in sort of back in on their notoriety and make a career like a lot of these guys did and there are reasons for that people do explain it the cop who's chasing them has a view um Sulet Dreyfus who wrote a book about this she has a view um it's all speculation but it's certainly something different with these Melbourne hackers and perhaps it's they weren't quite there for their their ego as much yeah it was it, it was the thrill yeah. yeah, it's interesting. The AFP guy is fantastic. I, I think it's the AFP. Well, the, the cop who's arrested the guy. Well, the AFP guy is fantastic. But the cop who's arresting that guy and, 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 and the hacker pulls the uh, old movie trick of, hey, look, I'll help you. I'll work on your side and help you catch hackers. And the guy goes, we caught you. We don't need your help, mate. Just, oh, that's so good. <laughs> I know. When I finally found Ken Hunt was his name. He's, he's living uh, in the state now. When I found him, he was hilarious. I love the scene where he's he's going with Bill Apu, who's the other AFP guy we talked to, and they go around to a judge's house one night to try and get a, a, a warrant for a phone tap. And this judge doesn't even know what a computer was. 
<laughs> so this yeah. would have been 80, 87. He goes, it was hilarious. It was, we, were try, we had le- someone doing legal speak, someone doing computer speak, and I was just trying to explain to this judge what a computer was. <laughs> so and you can see, and people didn't have computers in their homes. There was hardly any in the AFP offices either. Um, and that's another thing which was really, I think it comes out in episode three, where the police and the hacker, it was like a bit of a test of skills. The, the computers were new, using computers in this way were new. They were learning how to, uh, what they could do online. And the police were learning at the same time how to catch them. They had came up with techniques never used before anywhere in the world to capture keystroke data, which they needed to show the hacking. Um, they can capture audio data, but that doesn't show the hacking. That can just be bragging. So they had to capture keystrokes. And they went right. through all these different systems to do that. And they, they did it. And they claimed that they were the first in the world to do it. But they were coming from so far behind, and it was just this constant catch-up, this, this, this almost a, a test of skills which was going on. Probably still goes, does go on, to be honest. I'm not sure. But um, certainly back then, everything was new. I mean, the, the copper went back to uni in order to do a computer science degree in order to chase them. Yeah, there's an exponential growth in, in the technology and what's possible. Mm. And, you know, people have been using it and the, and the learnings, particularly if you're dealing in that kind of open source community and you're trying to share as much knowledge as possible. I mean, you're mm. really growing at quite a rate. Yeah, and that's what yeah. the computer degree was actually learning how to use a computer, like how how the whole computer work, not just sort of software level, application level stuff. Like. Exactly. Well, who knew Melbourne had some of the apparently the best computer courses um, going on at the moment at the time too, which was another reason perhaps some people have suggested Melbourne was the place where it was going on. We speak to one of the guys who headed up one of those departments at Monash Uni, and yeah, he's still got his old computer. You guys want to be known for more than just the coffee, is that right? <laughs> that's right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Now, Ranieri and Co. Um, mm-hmm. This is so Ranieri and Co. Is basically was founded what 2019, and they sort of it came into podcasting by becoming is it Wondery's agent over here or so in terms of they represent the Wondery catalog um, to Australian advertisers, but they'd always promised to sort of try and get into quality content, and this is the first cab off the rank. How did mm. it come together? How did you start working with? Uh, the good people at Ranieri and Co. Well, I didn't. I hadn't um, worked for them before and didn't know of them, to be honest. I had just finished up at the court and I was doing some work at the ABC and then um, someone just said, look, Ranieri looking for someone to look into computer hacking in Melbourne and I, I was free, you know. So I started looking into it. I read the book. One of the first books you'd read when you're looking into this was Sulek Dreyfus and Julian Assange's book Un- Underground. You, you kind of start there. I go, this is interesting. Can we get some stuff that's not in that book, some more original material, and then it was and then it was on. So I was pretty excited by the story. Um, it's it's one of those stories that you think, how come I didn't know about this? You know, how come this is a, such a Melbourne story, yet it's not part of our what our culture, our our, our city stories, or something? You'd almost think maybe Australians are pretty. You know, we're not very good at. Selling ourselves. Yeah. But you'd almost think if this was San Francisco, people would know, oh, that's where that came out of San Francisco. Famous for this. So it was intriguing, and I've spoken to a lot of people since, of course, and you go, oh, I'd never heard of that before. You know, you lived here all your life. And and we've got the AFP saying, best, best hackers in the world were here, and we didn't know. So I think that it's exciting, isn't it, for a journalist to get something which it's... Um, it's not well known so you've got lots of scope to discover new stuff mm-hmm. um, and it's wondrous it's like really in the first few episodes it, 
Now, some sad things happened, but um, but there's a, there's a fun, there's a playfulness about it, and it's really fun to work on a podcast like that. And then to understand um, that change in politics, which was going on in the 90s, I think I was intrigued too because I lived that era. So, you know, all this stuff was in the periphery, but I hadn't perhaps appreciated what, what it meant. In retrospect, you can go, oh, my God, I missed that. How can I not see that coming? You know? One great thing about this, not great, but it's really intriguing for me, is it's, I've always done a lot of politics, of course. It's not left or right politics. Like these groups, are, there's left-leaning liberals, there's human rights workers, there's hardcore free market libertarians, and they're all coming together on this idea that encryption and decryption can set us free on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> and it sounds quite convoluted. But once you start getting into it, you go, oh, my God, this is this is not a left and right politics. This is a new breed of politics. Um, yeah, it's that kind of ega- egalitarian access to information and, and, you know, what technology can do, really. Yeah. yeah, it's a little bit mirrored by the blockchain sort of scenario now of this sort of open web and, yeah. Yeah, well, the web, what is it, the web 2.0 and the web 3.0, which yep. we're heading into and decentralized. And now we're talking about this in the 90s. Um Discussions of cryptocurrencies well before, you know, I or most people had heard about them. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the audience that uh, has been tuning in so far? Have you had much of a re- response or reaction? It's going well. Yeah, we've had... Um, there's a bit of nervousness about people, suspicious, I guess, of us. Um, you know, don't do an episode about it. Don't do a podcast about Assange now. He's in enough shit. And I, mm, I get yeah. that. Um, and we were probably prepared for a little bit of that. Uh, and I think we've been really careful not to, you know, we're not, we're not doing anything that's that's going to incriminate him. Put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, most things we've uncovered were things on the public record when it comes to Julian Assange. But to have a fuller understanding of what was going on when he created WikiLeaks and why, um, you can be left to your own devices whether you think that's a good or bad thing. I don't think we're going to make a call on that. But a fuller understanding of what it meant. Um, I think was where we're heading. Um, so there's been some people um, questioning why we would do this now. Um, it's a tough one. When's the right time to tell a story? It's it's already a lot of the first, you know, more than half of this series happened 20, 30 years ago. So um, it shouldn't be a problem, you wouldn't think. Um, and, we, and like I say, we, we talk about some of the massive hits that WikiLeaks did, but more as an example of... of what it was capable of, we pretty much finish our podcast when WikiLeaks starts, because that story's been well told, and mm. and to get into that, there's a lot of um, <clears throat> oh, people falling out with WikiLeaks, other hackers. There's a lot of criticism, a lot of support. It's almost evangelical, and there's mm. almost a personality cult going on too. And we're trying to stay clear of that because it wasn't really what we wanted to tell. Um, you get some personal insights into Assange's character from his family, who we spoke to. Um, but again, we're not we're not saying. See, he was right. See, he was wrong. We're not going there. Um, so yeah, we've had some positive. We had some good feedback from people saying. Um, uh, one person's just saying, "I love the fact that you use tism." <laughs> oh, I was <laughs> waiting to bring them up. <laughs> Speaking of people behind masks and <laughs> remaining anonymous, I know tism were wonderful. We, when we approached them to use their music, they just said, "Sure, we think it's hilarious. You want to use our song." <laughs> <laughs> And that was great. So we've had, but we've had people, a few comments actually, saying it's transportive and it's, it took me back to a time and I understood everything. So I think that was a, a success for us because, yeah, stepping back from that technical side, um, it really pitches at a, look, the, the tech audience will probably 
um, listen, um, and I think they're probably going to listen, listen with very attuned ears, and you know they may even pick up something wrong. I hope not, but I think that but I think the general audience will get a full understanding of what Brilliant. of what these machines were doing back then. Uh, the way you've set it up, you're really targeting an international audience. Yeah, I think so. There, there, we do think that, I guess, because of the Assange hook, ultimately, there is a lot of international interest in this. So we have made it. Um, we've described Melbourne and the mm. relationship between Melbourne and Sydney and why Melbourne is the way it is. And um, Yeah, so we have gone in Melbourne, in a way, in the first few episodes, becomes almost a bit of a character. Yes. Um, I really like that. So we thought about doing that. So I think that that's... It, look, I'd love it if it sold overseas because I think it's intriguing. And um, yep. who, knew, who, knew, <laughs> who knew Melbourne had so much to offer? I, kn- I didn't know Melbourne was the southernmost city in the world with over a million people. I didn't know that either. Yeah, the, the, the remoteness that, that Sulet Dreyfus talks about and, the, and that led to a, a sense of I can do anything and, yeah. and resourcefulness. Well, I think it's great. I mean, you're, you're giving us more credit and taking it away from Silicon Valley and, you know, wherever else, Seattle, where Microsoft is from and <laughs> even Sandra Bullock with the net. Yeah, we were there first. Yeah, I guess if they're in Silicon Valley, they'd all be billionaires, wouldn't they? We'd know who they were. So. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the Bay Area takes on a whole new meaning, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. So we do like to uh, just ask our guests um, what podcasts they listen to and, and anything that's kind of inspired them along the way. I mean, do you have any that you want to talk about that have planted the seed for your interest in podcasting before you even started this one? I really liked Against the Rules. I'm not sure if you've heard that podcast. I really enjoyed that one. It's the first season talked about um, people that had positions of power in our community and and why we could could be referees on a sports field or or people that um, question dictation or question grammar and <laughs> on the internet. It's almost pedantic things, but the analysis of where and it really, really speaks to trusting of people with authority and trusting institutions. And there's a broader story around that why we're where we are, why we don't trust our institutions. So that I, I've loved, really liked against the rules. I just listened to, um, insofar as production and true crime stuff, I listened to uh, Canadian podcast Hunting Warhead. I thought that was brilliant. Bit difficult to listening to listen to. Pretty heavy material, um, but yeah, it was. Um, I thought that was amazing. It really held my attention. Talks a lot about computer crime too in the dark web so there's a lot of technical detail so it was interesting to see how they handled that um and then for a bit of fun i've actually just listened to operator i'm not sure if you've heard that one it's um i think it's a wondery podcast but it's um it's about a telephone sex line in the states um again revealing quite funny um sometimes you're listening to it going i can't believe i'm listening to this material on the train and you're look you're looking at me and you have no idea what i'm listening to and it's almost embarrassing that sounds incredible. Yeah. It is. It's really well put together. So I, I guess I listen to some for production value um, and I listen to some just for my news. Um, I just finished Boys Like Me, I think it's called too, about the the incel movement in Canada. <sighs> Amazing. Disturbing. But um, yeah. And then when I want to laugh, I listen to Everything is Alive. <laughs> so, Everything is Alive. What's that? Um, it's where... <laughs> it's, it's, it's so nuts. It's... The guy, right. I can't remember his name, he interviews inanimate objects. So, so he interviews um, a <laughs> Russian doll, you know, and, they, and all the Russian dolls talk about what it's like to be the middle one or the little one or the big one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> then, okay, uh, I'm going to check um, that out. <laughs> yeah, I think he interviewed a can of Coke and 
and what life means if you drink it does he die then and it, it's it's almost one of the most humane podcasts I've listened to about human emotions, and he does it via interviewing inanimate objects. It's quite brilliant, I think. Thank you for that list. I've heard of none of these except for the news Aussie news ones, so we'll be checking them out. Yeah, and we'll definitely be checking out the uh, the rest of the season. I mean, so far it's been great. We'd love to catch up with you again once everything's been released and, and it's been out there able to breathe a little bit. Yeah, that'd be great. Love to. Yeah, that'd be really good. And I, look, I expect... Once we get into the last few episodes and we narrow in on Assange and WikiLeaks, it's um, it's just so intriguing, and it's and you just think, my God, it was just all there, and we didn't see it. That's what I keep thinking when I read these things, and um, and it's quirky too, because I mean, we all know Assange a little bit. He's you know he doesn't suffer fools. He's got a wicked sense of humour, and it comes out. Oh, I can't wait! Can't wait! So every week, dropping uh, every every Sunday. Yeah. What time are you dropping on Sundays? Um, when it's finished. Okay. Understood. <laughs> Understood. Respect. <laughs> Sometimes it's an early Sunday morning listening session, but um, yeah, we look where Amy for you know around the middle of the day. Wonderful. Well, we'll be tuning in. Good on you. Thank you. Thank you Thanks, so much. Greg.